Good morning, friends. We're going to pray before we get into the text. Gracious God, you are the one who leads us, and you illuminate for us that which we do not understand. We ask that you might clarify and help us as we seek to follow in your way, as we seek to know who you are and what it is that you wish for us to do. We thank you for the community that you are building us into, that we might be ready to receive your truth and your mercy. And we thank you for this day. In the name of Jesus, we pray. So the book of Hebrews has kind of a complex identity in terms of the books of the New Testament. For one thing, we're really not sure who wrote the book of Hebrews. Lots of people have different opinions about it and the identity of the writer, but none of them are really based on much at all. The book of Hebrews also seems more in the form of a sermon or a lesson than it does a traditional letter format. And so that gives us additional pause, makes it distinct. Another fascinating thing is that the Greek language usage in the book of Hebrews and the sort of argument construction that's present there, the way that the arguments are laid out and overlapped, uh, is very sort of fancy, (laughs) very elaborate, educated kind of work. And so this is a kind of writing or maybe sermon that was given that not everyone at the time and not even most of the leaders of the New Testament could have constructed. It's distinctive in a very particular way. And it also expresses a lot of details about the historic faith of Judaism, about the people of Israel in their earliest days, and weaves these Jewish themes throughout the book. So those are several major distinctive elements that are present in the book of Hebrews. But what makes Hebrews so distinctive is not the unknown authorship. It's not the question of whether it was a letter or a sermon or a writing of some other kind. It's instead the perspective and theology of the book of Hebrews that makes it stand out to us as modern readers. Even though there are many themes found in early Christian writings within the text of Hebrews, the way that the writer or speaker uh, composes the images that they're expressing, the angle that they take on these topics, is distinct and different. So the book of Hebrews, based on sort of context and timing, seems to have been written to early Jewish Christians. It's not surprising since the book is called Hebrews. (laughs) Uh, And we've seen this as well already a few weeks ago when we talked about the book of James, which is mostly oriented to Jewish Christian believers, which was most of the earliest Christian believers. So Knowing that it was written specifically with a deep awareness of the Jewish people, maybe you're feeling a little conscious of the many things that we've listed about this book that might make it difficult for you to understand it. Hebrews, in some ways, feels very inaccessible to modern American Christian readers. It can feel overwhelming. Even just reading the poetry of the construction of the first chapter You might be thinking, I'm in way over my head for this. And as someone with a concerning amount of theological education, I feel that way sometimes too about this book. It's intricate and its context is so different from my own that sometimes it feels difficult to get to. But 
Considering all these things, I want to offer an interpretation of reading of Hebrews today that I hope will give us a clearer lens through which to see the book and the arguments that are being made there. One that gives us maybe a clarity on how to interpret Hebrews for our time and our place. So we're going to start in Hebrews chapter 9. We're going to do verses 1 and 2, and then we're going to do verses 8 through 14. Now the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly sanctuary for a tent was constructed, the first one, in which were the lampstand, the table, and the bread of the presence. This is called the holy place. Verse 8, by this the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the sanctuary has not yet been disclosed as long as the first tent is still standing. This is a symbol of the present time, indicating that gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various baptisms, regulations for the body imposed until the time comes to set things right. But when Christ came as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy place, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. For the blood of bulls and goats and the sprinkling of the ashes of a heifer sanctifies those who have been defiled, so that their flesh is purified. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, Purify our conscience from dead works to worship the living God. So as we explore sort of some of the themes of the book of Hebrews, it becomes clear very quickly that there are some central images and messages that are going to be shared throughout the chapters of this book. From the perspective of the larger history of Israel, the writer is using images and stories from Israel's own history and context and illustrating things that were now true about their current faith in Christ. We hear about this tent in chapter 9, the tabernacle, the temple of the Lord, and this conversation about sacrifices of bulls and goats and ashes from heifers. These are all images used within a Jewish context, a part of the Jewish story and faith, that the writer is now interpreting through the lens of their current faith experience. We also will notice quickly as we read in Hebrews that the author is beginning to make a comparison. It becomes pretty clear early on that there are two things that are being compared in the book of Hebrews. One that the author believes to be better than the other. And from first look, I think many people would hear this and read this and understand the comparison to be one between Judaism and Christianity, a comparison of two faiths. I would like to say that I think that this reading is wrong, and I think that it's dangerous. And it's not a criticism as to those who get there, because I think if you read it lightly, that's the conclusion you would draw. But I think it misses a major central point of the book of Hebrews to read it as an interreligious comparison. 
I think it also means making assumptions about the text that Hebrews itself is not making. And you know that I hate to jump ahead of the writer of the text on their own writings. So when we look more closely at the book of Hebrews, it seems that the author is not comparing one religious truth to another, but rather they are comparing what is true now and what will be true later in the age to come. This is not about an internal comparison of religion, but rather a comparison of current realities and future realities. In theology, we call this eschatology, this idea of thinking about the end, what is going to be at the end of all things. We see in Hebrews the challenges of daily religious work, daily human work, the challenges of being a person in a world that is not always watching out for you. Hebrews reflects a lot of the struggles both from external power forces on the Christian church in its earliest days and internal struggles on the Christian church in its earliest days. It speaks about religious ritual and the necessity for salvation, but the way in which some days it feels empty and vain. And the author of Hebrews is weighted down by these challenges and knows that the listeners or the readers are also weighted down. To be a human is kind of exhausting under the best of circumstances, and the writer of Hebrews is reflecting this honestly to the people that he's communicating with. But at the same time, the author is also desiring, hoping, maybe yearning for a better world, a world in which those realities will not feel like a crushing hand. In that way, a key theme of the book of Hebrews is this vision for the future, a vision of what will be, what can be, without ignoring the heaviness of the world. The people connected to the book, whether listening or writing, believed that Christ had come and that Christ coming had changed the world. But they were still present in the world, and it had its own effect on their days. There were so many realities around them that had not changed. And you don't need me to tell you that the challenges faced by the writer and the readers of Hebrews are challenges that you also face. You know the world is often heavy and challenging, unfulfilled in its purpose, Sometimes it is difficult to believe truly in the power of Christ when the day-to-day is so tough. You've heard of the destruction this week, the bombing of the Strip in Gaza, vindictive governments taking out hospitals, giving less than 24 hours to evacuate. You know that there have been power cut off from entire communities just because of an extremist group retaliation against civilians. If Christ has come, if Christ's death and resurrection have occurred, then why is this suffering so great? Why does it feel like we cannot always escape it? You know the challenges of your own home, your neighbors, everybody who lives around you. You know the increase in food prices, way out of line with wages and inflation. (laughs) 
food inflation usually increases 2.1% in an average year, depending, of course, on other factors. But from April 2022 to April 2023, it increased 12.5%. How much of that goes into the pockets of farmers, grocery store clerks? Not much. Not enough. You, like the writers and readers of Hebrews, look around and you see the struggle, the ways in which chaos and inequality seem to be in power, the reality of religious practice and the limitations of your own capacity to do holy work. And in the midst of these things, you too yearn for that better world. Because after all, we believe that that is a part of Jesus's purpose to bring about a new thing, a new life, a new covenant into the world. Isn't that what was promised? Certainly, yes, this is a central element of Jesus's coming, and it has happened. New life, a new way was offered to us, and many in this room have said yes to that. But what this text helps us understand is that the truth of Christ's defeat of death does not equal the fullness of that new covenant yet known to us. In fact, the text says that the new covenant cannot come fully until the time is right, until all things have passed away. It's incomplete, this covenant. We cannot yet know it. And this puts us in the same position as those listening to the original writing or speaking of the book of Hebrews, in the same place as even the ancient Israelites who are referenced so frequently in this book. We are all waiting and yearning for the perfect new covenant that we believe will come, but has not yet come in fullness. The writer of Hebrews speaks in this passage and affirms what all of its listeners would know. Things around you are not solved. The world is not as it should be. There is so much suffering and pain and grief and decay. Even our religious practice itself can be weighty on us. And these things are not enough to make the writer forget, however, that the current state of things is not the permanent state of things. Because Jesus had come, had died for the salvation of all, there would be a day where these challenges, these weights, this heaviness, would no longer be a part of our world. It would not be the same. Jesus' coming had liberated the people, the listeners then and us now, in so many ways. But there would be another greater freedom coming, a greater reality, this covenant of heaven that would fully transform all of creation. This was not a question of the Jewish covenant or the Christian covenant, but covenant of death, with sin in the world and the covenant of life when it will be fully and totally defeated in the age to come. Christ obtained eternal redemption, the text tells us, to offer himself for the world. Only then could that new covenant be known. And that is our belief as well, that this new covenant has begun by Christ and that it will be fulfilled by Christ but that this in-between means an imperfect and incomplete expression of that. The presence of Christ in the world, the death and resurrection of Christ, 
was not intended to create a new religious community, but was intended to begin a totally new thing, the opening of the doors of heaven to all of creation, that it might be restored, renewed, brought about into its truest form. This new covenant would free us all, would welcome us all, and would do away with the imperfection of the covenant we bear right now, brought about by the blood of Jesus. I would guess that most of us would prefer a covenant that is instant and complete, (laughs) not one that means that we get some of it now and some of it later, maybe. Delayed gratification might be your worst nightmare. And I think especially when we feel suffering and grief. The writer of Hebrews tells us confidently that we can speak truly about the daily challenges of our life alongside the truth that it will not be this way forever. Redemption, full redemption is coming and it will come at the right time. In its coming, it reminds us that we will be purified fully and we will be ready then to worship the living God with all of who we are. What has come is not here completely, but that does not mean it is not coming. It does not mean we cannot glimpse it. It does not mean we cannot be assured that it will come. It means that we have to hope for it and we have to wait for it. Jesus' death is the start of something deeply transformational. And we are both at the beginning of that process and also at the end of it, because it will come when we least expect it. That end, final, complete transformation is still ahead of us. We experience heaven now, this covenant of heaven in this moment, when we find community of faith in our families, the beauty of the earth and your gardens, in so many small moments of faith and practice, we see the, the glimpse of what that will look like. But that heaven expressed in this covenant will not be fully known to us now. And this text reminds us that that perfect world is coming. Do not give up. Do not despair. We cannot access it in fullness now, but it will not be delayed. We hope for it. We commit to it and we recommit to it, to this covenant because of Christ that is yet to come. So considering these perspectives, what we share with ancient Israel and with the early Christians and every generation since and before is that we are weighed down by the reality of the world. Another thing we share is that we too carry within us the promise that this will not be forever, that that day will come, the fullness of this covenant will pass, and we will experience the restoration of all things. We do not get to see it now, but we will. Our role then in response to the world is to serve as people who are assured of this confidence, to be carriers of that hope, to live out of that truth. To fulfill this message of Hebrews is not to pretend that the world isn't heavy and complicated. 
nor is it to only orient ourselves to the struggle of the everyday, becoming embittered, but rather as people of hope, people of this new covenant, we are to remind each other of the truth that it is coming and that it will come and that we will return with God into that new world. Now, this doesn't mean we're the kind of people who sit in trees waiting for the return of Christ or workaholics that try to bring about the new covenant faster because we've put in enough hours of church labor. Instead, we are to be steadfast worshipers of Jesus, whose perfection has created a covenant that cannot be taken away, by which the whole world will be offered redemption. We commit ourselves to the one by whose hand a new thing has already begun, the one who has forged this promise covenant, Jesus Christ. We are to be people of yearning for that world a world better than this one, a perfection we cannot imagine, but one we believe will come. You've been listening to me, Pastor Kana Moore, at Hayes Christian Church. Hayes Christian Church is a non-denominational fellowship in Hayes, Kansas. We are supported by the generosity of our members, attenders, and friends. The financial support we raise goes to projects which further spread the gospel to those who do not yet know Jesus, to those local, national, and international missions, and they help keep these podcasts free. If you would like to share a monetary gift with us, please visit our website at hayeschristianchurch.org and click on the donate button, or you may mail your gift to P.O. Box 1111, Hayes, Kansas, 67601. If you have any questions, comments, or would like more information, we would love to hear from you. Simply go to our website and click on the Contact Us form. Thank you for your generosity, and may God bless you as you seek to follow him.